This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Aftershocks, my favorite headphones. Aftershocks headphones have an open ear concept. They use bone conduction technology to give you the best sound possible while also giving you the opportunity to still hear what's going on around you so you can be safe on the run. The audio quality in my Aftershocks headphones, I specifically use the Aeropex, is incredible. So much better than I ever could have imagined. And the great news is that you all can get $50 off an endurance bundle pack when you go to another.aftershocks.com. Link to that will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. All right, today you're listening to episode 207, and I'm talking with Steph Bruce. This is really fun because I got to talk with Ben Bruce, her husband, just two days before her interview. And that episode released last week. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen to episode 206 with Ben Bruce. Steph has been on the podcast a couple times. She was episode 130 as a bonus episode after she ran Peachtree and won her first national title. And she was also on episode 159. So head back and give those a listen if you haven't checked him out yet. I really enjoy my conversations with Steph. This was fun because she just ran a 227.47 for a sixth place finish at the Chicago Marathon just a few weeks ago. I had the opportunity to go out and spectate and cheer her on, and that was an incredible experience. So many different emotions and feelings from her coming off this race. So we got to break the race down, hear all about it, hear what was going on, and what it was like to have her husband as one of the official pacers for the race. We get into a little bit of parenting talk and all kinds of other stuff. So I also want to mention in the podcast with Steph, I didn't say this in the interview. And then as I was editing back, I was like, Lindsay, you should have brought this up. I was actually texting with Matt Chittum from The Rambling Runner about having Steph and Ben on. He's the one that gave me the idea to interview these two separately. I originally was going to think... I'll have them on together after the race. That'll be super fun. And Matt encouraged me to have them on separately because he thought Ben would have so many things to say about pacing and all kinds of different things that a lot of us haven't heard about. We don't hear Ben on as many podcasts. So I just want to give a thank you to Matt Chittum for supporting me and being a good sounding board for this podcast. And yeah, I appreciate him encouraging me to do these interviews separate because I'm really happy with how they turned out separately. All right, friends, I haven't done this call to action in a while, but if you're loving the show or you've been listening for a while and you haven't done so, if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review or wherever you listen, leave a rating and review, that would be super helpful. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. So here's my nudge to do that if you haven't done it yet. All right, friends, let's enjoy my conversation with Stephanie Bruce. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have returning guest, Steph Bruce. Welcome to the show, Steph. Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah, it's been probably a solid year, year and a half since we last talked. So this is exciting for me to get to have you back on. 
Thank you. Yeah, I was trying to remember if it was in the summer or last fall. I could not quite put my finger on it. It's I, been like a, a podcast frenzy yeah. <laughs> over the last year. Oh, yeah. You're always on a podcast. Um, but it, the fun thing is I got to in- interview Ben, and you and I were just talking about this, that he doesn't do as many podcasts as you. No, he doesn't, which I'm mad because I feel like he has um, way better things to say than I do. And I kind of just repeat the same story. And not many people know all the things that make Ben Bruce tick. So I'm glad you got to. Yeah, you know, I actually, when I was contemplating this, I was like, maybe I should do their interview together. And I know you guys have done interviews together in the past. But I was like, you know what? I have so many different questions for Ben and separate from you that I thought this could make two full episodes. I'm, I am appreciative of that. And I think he was too. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, and I was for the listeners, I was just telling Steph before we started recording, I had so many more questions for Ben, but I had a, like a 50 minute time limit to pick up my son from school. So I was like, damn it. I shouldn't have put a time limit on that. <laughs> uh, but That's we still got a full episode in. Good. I'm glad he could probably have talked forever. So it's probably good. You put a, <laughs> you put a limit on it. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, is like, you never know when you start talking to someone if they're going to be chatty or if they're going to give you like 10 word, let's move along answers. So it's like at some points in conversations, you get to 20 minutes and you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get to 40 minutes? And then sometimes <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to cut this in an hour? Yep, for sure. All right. So let's get into it. Congratulations coming off Chicago. Thank you so much. Sixth place, 227, 47, second American. Um, I know you are a mixed bag of emotions coming off that. Lots of great things, lots of things you had your heart set on. So what a week and a half out, what are you, how is the dust settling? How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a really good place right now. Um, I'm like busy, uh, renovating my house and like turning furniture upside down, moving things around, like all the things I feel like I ignore, uh, when I'm in heavy marathon training. Um, and so poor Ben and for anyone that comes to my house, I'm just, it's like a, a twister in my house right now. But um, yeah, I'm just like full of energy, obviously, with not training for the last uh, week and a half. And yeah, I think the more that I look back and the more I reflect on it, um, I kind of wrote a blog on this and had my YouTube episode, but like it wasn't the race that I was 100% hoping for, but it was like the race that I needed, I think, to like take that next step to what I'm looking forward to um, in 2020. So a lot of great things that I learned, um, maybe mistakes I made, um, but big positives to take away from it. And all in all, like my agent, Josh, says, you cannot be upset when you do PR, but the nature of being pro athletes, you know, we're always going to have really high goals for ourselves and we set high standards and that's what gets us out the door, you know, to train for the next one. So it would, I'd be remiss if I just said I'm completely satisfied with it. Um, Mm -hmm. I would just like to figure a couple components uh, of the marathon out that I have kind of felt like I've failed over the last couple of years. Yeah, when you mention mistakes, does anything pop into your mind when you think about Chicago particularly? You know, I don't think so. Um, in my in my other marathons, like I was super wary about pace. Like if I saw a mile split that I thought was too fast, I instead of like I don't know, maybe listening to my body, I would just be like, I got to back off the mm-hmm. pace, and that's the part of me that I'm trying to change, and I, I have in all the other distances I've been racing and just being like, Hey, if you want to be like open to greatness and open to like big breakthroughs, you have to just kind of 
throw that uh, clock out the window, so to speak, um, and and trust that like your body can keep doing it. And I, I didn't feel particularly good in Chicago, like even very early on in the race. And so part of me was like, oh man, should I just slow down and uh, maybe like save myself. But the other part of me was like, no, like I wanted to finish, try to finish on the podium. I wanted to try to run a huge PR. And so I was going to have to take a risk at some point. Um, so maybe that, I don't know if that's a mistake, but it was a risk I had to take going through faster, you know, than I've ever gone through in any other marathon, but that's the only way I'm going to get to that next level. I think. Yeah. I love that because I think that people, I think that's natural. Like if you don't feel good, that you're going to make, oh, maybe I need to slow down a little bit in the beginning. But if you don't take that risk, you won't know what could have been. Exactly. Yeah. So so I'm learning that even this late in my career. I love that. Um, what do you think, so fresh off Chicago, do you have biggest lessons learned yet or anything that you're already kind of taking notes on for, obviously, the trials will be your next marathon? <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably not just necessarily what happened at Chicago, but it's kind of the whole picture of some things that have been kind of like plaguing me a little bit. I, I mentioned this openly, like I've had some stomach and nutritional issues going on the last year and a half that we've been trying to a hundred percent dial in and they weren't completely there. Um, come race day, it, it's frustrating because on one hand, I've stayed healthy uh, for the last, you know, four to five years. I haven't had any setbacks from injuries, and that's been wonderful. And so I, I can't complain on one hand. But the other part of me doesn't feel like I'm firing on all cylinders. Um, and that's something that's kind of going on in my stomach and my gut. And that is just something that we have to figure out. Um, but there's nothing I would say I did right or wrong about it. But it's just trying to, like, I don't know, hone in on those fine details and figure out how I can uh, better approach that to maybe, um, yeah, fix the overall picture to me as a marathoner. Yeah, I have um, I have a Facebook group and someone asked about the stomach issues because you very openly mentioned that you should you shit your pants at 22 of the marathon. Um, and she says this. She says, maybe I'm gross, but I want to hear more about the process and what happened. Re-shitting her <laughs> pants, her phrase, and if this has ever happened to her before. Now, that's from Amy Schlotthauer. I Maybe I said her last name wrong, but I think that Amy recently ran super fast, maybe 255 or something like that. Um, so what are your thoughts? What do you say to Amy? Yeah, Amy. So, um, honestly, no, I, I have gone through all 10 of my marathons without that ever happening. Um, and that was completely fortunate. And I feel like it has to do with as athletes, you know, we are very, uh, committed to having the same routine, not trying different foods, practicing and training what we need to do. So then when it comes race day, everything is going to be the same. But um, I will tell you that in training over the last year and a half, I have had a lot of issues um, of bathroom breaks, bathroom accidents. Um, a, a, that's probably a combination of postpartum because I had such a um, aggressive birth. Um, I had some tearing and I had a grade four, uh, tear and episiotomy. And so the incontinence that I was suffering was just harder to honestly control and couple that with whatever's going on digestion wise. It was just, uh, kind of like the perfect storm, I guess, that occurred in Chicago. And I was hoping that um, I would get through it okay. But 
I haven't said this, but I just didn't really go to the bathroom before the race. Mm. And that was like the first time that had ever really happened to me. Um, and on one hand, I was really nervous because I'm like, okay, should I drink more coffee, you know, to make sure. Yeah. But then the part of me that has been having issues, I was like, if I have more coffee, then I will go to the bathroom too much. So I was caught in this, like what to do. And even Ben was like, man, if that was me, I would have drank like just much more coffee. But he's like, I also know that because postpartum, like you've had a lot of issues that if you go, that you will go too much. Um, and that has been the crux of like the, the problems that I'm trying to figure out. Um, and so now I have to look back, okay, what was going on that week before? Like my stomach was doing pretty well, but were there certain foods that flared it up? And then that made me like either not go to the bathroom that morning and whatever happened. Um, but I, again, I tried not to like work once I was like, well, this is not happening. I try to be like, just get, just go through the race normal, take all your fluids, take your gel. And I did everything not trying to think, oh, I'm not going to take a fluid in case this happens. Cause I'm like, well, then I won't, you know, have the energy later. And when it just, the moment, like it hit my brain, I literally had no, I had no choice. Um, yeah. and that's, the, that's the postpartum component, the incontinence. I, I couldn't even like Ben and I joke about it. Cause I was like, I'm going to the bathroom. And he was kind of like, oh, well you can pull up right on the side of the road up here. And I'm like, no, like, uh, past <laughs> tense. Like I went to the bathroom already. Um, yeah, there was like, no, there was no choice I had in the matter. And so I joke when people were like, you are awesome. <laughs> people were like calling me a hero. I'm like, guys, I'm not a hero. I just accidentally shit my pants <laughs> in the race. It wasn't a you choice. Know? No, exactly. And I think they looked at it because yeah, it was an embarrassing moment, but I'm also like, what am I going to do at that point? I made it 22 miles from the marathon at, 225 pace like I'm not giving up because I had a bathroom accident I'm gonna push forward and um I ultimately I still fell apart a little bit energy wise but that was something that hey uh <laughs> yeah there's nothing you can do and I can look back and laugh about it now but the serious part of me is like okay let's try to figure yeah. out completely nutritionally and my stomach what is going on that would cause that Man, I would be, I mean, and as not a non-elite runner, if I didn't go number two before a marathon, I'd be like, oh, shoot, man. <laughs> you know, something, a, a race like Chicago, though, for a non-elite runner, like, if, because I think my biggest fear would be st standing on that start line and being like, it's coming. Like, yeah. right then for you, but like for someone like me or the masses, like, we could be like, oh, shoot, well, I'm going to go to the porta potty and there's like 9 million waves here. And yeah, I'm going <laughs> to be weaving around people slower than I would like, but like, I could jump in at any time because my chip will cross when it crosses, you know? Yeah, I I, uh, I couldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But honestly, as soon as that happened, like that was the reality. I was like, well, there's no point in worrying about it because what that is going to take, you right. know, that's going to add negative energy to my thoughts. So I just was like, that didn't happen. Maybe you make it through the whole race and you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. um, because in my daily life, that has happened sometimes during training, and I made it through runs, you know, without going to the bathroom. So yeah. I was like, it's very possible that I would come out the other side okay, but that was not the case <laughs> that morning. Yeah, I was watching one of your Relentless videos, and you were talking about your nutrition and diet a little bit. Now, explain to everybody, I know you have celiac disease, celiac disease, but what you're also allergic to some weird things like spinach, which I found that one to be the strangest. What else are you allergic to? Yeah. So, you know, I'm actually not a hundred percent sure. And even the celiac, we're starting to kind of wonder if, 
is that 100% accurate? Um, because the couple of tests that I had done like nine years ago it is starting to show like maybe it, it's a, it's a non-celiac sensitivity to gluten. Um, and then is there a possibility that when you have that, there are certain foods that you eat that actually flare up your gut because you have this sensitivity. And so, like I said, I'm not convinced maybe that I'm allergic to dairy, eggs, spinach, flaxseed, oats. Then maybe it's, I haven't been giving my body the right foods um, and then my gut is just reacting to the foods that I am giving it. And that's kind of the overhaul that we're going to try to like look into and figure out. Maybe it means some sort of elimination diet. Um, maybe it means I get a couple other like blood tests. Um, I'm actually going to see an allergist next week. I'm getting a colonoscopy. So there's this whole process I'm kind of going through um, right now to figure out what is what exactly it all means um, and how much I can control what I put into my body and if that will just have a positive effect versus accepting I'm allergic to all these foods. Um, the spinach part is something that you can get these tests done. It's called IgA and IgE. They're like immuno, immunoglobulin. And what happens is you can test for like a bunch of different foods, maybe like 200, and it will give you a range of you can eat these all the time. You shouldn't eat these very much, and then you shouldn't eat these at all. And for whatever reason, things like flaxseed, spinach, pinto beans came up as like, don't eat these mm. all the time. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of different food groups out there, and foods fall into these categories. There's like nightshades. There's a thing called the FODMAP diet. So, without being overwhelming, we're trying to kind of go down that um, rabbit hole over the next couple of weeks. Do you get anxiety scheduling a colonoscopy? That would give me a lot of anxiety. <laughs> well, I don't know if luckily I have had one. Uh, I had one when I was um, 25 in college um, because I was having, I was having a lot of stomach issues um, my like senior year or junior year of college. And a lot of it we were wondering is, did everything change back then um, in my stomach? Because some of the theories behind food allergies or sensitivities is that when you have a stressful life event occur, mm -hmm. and some, some people are pointing to my father passed away when I was 18. And then coincidentally, the next couple of years, I started to kind of like have these stomach issues that showed up. And so we're like, okay, was that something that was like, pivotal in my life that then like changed the dynamics of my gut and all that stuff. It's very interesting and complex when you think about it. But um, so I ha that being said, I have had a colonoscopy and endoscopy and no, I have to just not worry about it because yeah. if, if it's going to, if it's going to find out the piece of the puzzle I'm missing and improve like my quality of life every day, then I will do whatever it takes. That is a lot. Just like, <laughs> I mean, if, someone who didn't use their body as their job needed to figure this out. It would be stressful. But the fact that like your physical body is what your career is that like, and you kind of have all these moving pieces to figure out before the trials, like, man, you you got a lot going on. Yeah. And it does feel a, a bit overwhelming at times. Um, and so what I try to do is be like, okay, like you have all these awesome components in your life. If this is the small like thing that you have to figure out, that's um, hopefully just a blip on the radar. And I think probably growing up in the family that I did and 
the events that have happened with my father, my mother being sick, things with my brother. It's like I still have this great perspective that whatever's happening to me is not that bad in the scheme of of life and diseases and suffering. Um, and so I just try to have that approach like, okay, this is just the road I have to be on in order to be a better athlete and better human. Um, but I have seen far worse uh, with my family. And so I think that gives me like a really great perspective anytime I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed about it. Do you think having kids has, has your perspective also changed since having kids and a question I actually really like to ask people, how has kids changed, having kids changed you? Oh gosh. Oh, I mean, <laughs> how, many, how long do we have? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's changed much of my perspective, but I don't really know how to um, narrow that down and what that means. But, um, it kind of, it almost is like this, like, um, that, you know, the commercial, the V8 juice, and they like put their hand in their face, they slap their forehead and they're like, should have had a V8 kind of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's what it feels like having children, like <laughs> as a parent, you know, you're like, oh, should have done that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of this like, you are trying to navigate just growing up in this world, becoming an adult, a woman. And then all of a sudden you're responsible for these human beings in your life and you go from like you're raising them as babies to just survive those first couple months. (laughs) And then you go from survival to like, okay, now how do I actually shape them into decent human beings who are confident, who have courage, who have empathy for others, you know, who are good little people in this world. And then it makes you look in the mirror and say, are you living like a life that you would want your children to live? Are you being the person that you would want um, them to emulate? And so it almost like challenges you every single day to figure out, okay, what is the purpose for the day? How can I make myself or the people around me better? Um, Because your kids are watching like every move you make. Um, But what I also love about them is their brutal honesty. And (laughs) it's like if we had more of that as adults, oh my gosh, can you imagine the barriers we'd break down, the walls we'd break down? You know, I don't think you'd have as much tension because people would just tell it like it is. And um, I don't know. So I learn a lot from my kids in that aspect. That's so true. Brutally honest. I know anytime I'm like, I literally just have jeans on or like non-running clothes or something. My, my boys are like, why are you so You look fan- beautiful. Yeah. Or like, why oh, are you yeah. so fancy? I'm like, I, I have a it's t-shirt so and jeans on. <laughs> it's like the cutest because and, they do notice that, you know? Yeah. It's everything. Or like the other day I came in from a run at tights on instead of shorts because it's gotten colder here. And my uh, middle son is like, why are you wearing pants? Just like the most, just like they just look and they say. Yes, exactly. So after Chicago, um, the first time I saw the boys was um, my uh, babysitter brought them to drug testing and I was sitting there, you know, like waiting to pee and drinking and I hadn't seen them since the race. And Riley, my oldest goes, mom, did you win? (laughs) And I was like, no, Riley, I got six. And he was like, oh, kind of like very disappointed. And then he saw my medal and he's like, why did you get a medal then? Just kind of like, I'm so not impressed that you got sixth place, mom. Like try harder. You know what I'm like? My kids are, yeah, exactly. My kids are savage. Like that is their first thought because unfortunately, since I have won a race Uh over, you know, at some point in my career, they're like, 
yeah, well, why didn't you just do this one? I'm like, well, this is a pretty hard race to win. Um, but <laughs> hopefully they have a better perspective as they get older and realize that six was, it was okay. Six, six is an okay place at the Chicago <laughs> Marathon. Oh, they are so, so great. Funny. <laughs> it now, is. You guys travel and bring your boys quite a bit to big races. And I, I was going to ask Ben or you, I hadn't hit this yet, um, who was watching them. And I think, I think we discussed this in the last time we talked that in New York you had either an, a babysitter or someone. Would you have a babysitter in New York? Yeah. I don't know. what she, Okay. She's our daycare lady. And I yeah. don't know. I love her to death, but I don't know what to call her. Yeah. My, she's not my nanny. She's not a babysitter. She's, she's not a daycare, daycare lady. Yeah. yeah. But she's like, <laughs> she's like their third parent yeah. pretty much. So it's like I, Donna, I'm just going to call her Donna because that's her name. Um, yeah. So we have been fortunate to bring Donna to New York, Chicago, and um, most likely we'll bring her to the trials because when she's there, I don't even have to worry about yeah. the boys because she knows them as well as I do. And we're very fortunate that we've been able to, yeah, financially afford doing that. And a lot of the races have been so great about like giving us our own room and, you know, helping with the kids. And that's one thing that I've kind of hoped for in women's running is that like, women who want to have babies before their career is over is that races are helping with assistance mm. and making it comfortable that, yeah, you can bring your kid or you can breastfeed in the hospitality suite, you know, all these things that um, maybe women are nervous about, but it's not like, hey, why did you, you know, bring your kid in this atmosphere? I'm, I'm trying to normalize it a little bit. Um, so that, that, that's kind of been one of my goals. I love that. I have uh, spoke with a lot of younger professional runners who I, I, I oftentimes ask that question, like, do you want to have a family? Um, it's not the type of question you necessarily should ask people, but with female running at the pro level, I know it's like such a big thing. Like it's such a big obstacle. Like, do I do it? Do I wait till my career's over? Um, Katie German, she, um, she's running New York and I think she, she debuted at like 233 or 231 or I'm going to say it wrong. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I talked to her about that and she was, you know, she's very young. She's maybe 26 and she was all about having kids and still competing. So I think when these girls, women see people like you doing it, it's like it gives them that inspiration that they can do it too. I'm glad. I hope so. Yeah. She's been on tear the last year. It's really exciting to see. Yeah, I'm really excited for her. How would you describe your, uh, you and Ben's uh, parenting style? Ooh, (laughs) (laughs) like as far as our approach to how we parent or the dynamics of like him and I balancing it? Oh gosh, I guess both. (laughs) Okay. Um, I feel like I just had this conversation with um, my co-founder Jesse Thomas from Picky Bars, but I feel like we have a very 50-50 dynamic um, just because that's how we balance the household. Like one of us doesn't do one thing more than the other. Um, And that's just always been the nature of our relationship. You know, like he does laundry, he cooks, I pick up the boys, uh, you know, I'm training and racing full time, that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I think we co-parent very well. We share a lot of the same views on how to do things. I would say I do a lot more research on parenting mm-hmm. because that maybe because I'm a girl and I'm a uh, 
you know, let me just Google that um, mm-hmm. and figure out what that is. But I do a lot more of that and I would bring it to like his attention and then we'd kind of discuss it. He also um, has a teaching credential and he has a kinesiology background. So he grew up like basically having a very good understanding of children, um, teaching them. And so he brings a lot of good knowledge and experience, I think, to our parenting relationship. Um, but for the most part, we have never really, it sounds weird, we've never really fought over things about our children and how we wanted them to be raised. We kind of just always met at a pretty um, happy medium. And yeah, we agree on a lot of things when it comes to parenting. That is very refreshing for sure. (laughs) We Um, don't agree on a lot of other things in life. That's just a a husband and wife dynamic and that's fine. Yeah, that's life. That's that's a normal, normal marriage. All right. I'm going to break in real quick and thank a sponsor for this episode. And that is Endevo Run. Jake Tuber recently reached out to me about this really cool project he's working on, and I am so excited to share it with you. So the concept of Endevo Run is a start-to-finish program combining key elements of pro-style season, such as a personalized training from your choice of a 5K to a marathon, nutrition plans, a team retreat and ongoing virtual events and support, a VIP race experience, and altogether a team experience. Runners from anywhere and of all abilities can join no matter how fast, the only requirement is that you want to take your running season seriously next year. Now, there's only 120 spots available for the 2020 program. The first 50 registrants are guaranteed a single occupancy room at the Oregon Retreat. You can use the promo code POSTCARD, which right now is good for 15% off plus a free pair of shoes of your choice. Now, the concept of Endevo Run came about when Matt Fitzgerald, the well-known author of the book, How Bad Do You Want It? I know a lot of you have probably read that book. It's one of my all-time favorites. A few summers ago, he wanted to train like a pro, so he spent the summer living training in Flagstaff with the Hoka Aneane NAS Elite team, and the results were super powerful. So that fall, at the age of 46, Matt ran in lifetime PR, a best time of 2.39. Wow, that's awesome. Now, not everybody can pick up and train like a pro, like Matt did, but he's convinced that this fake pro runner experience could become the blueprint of a program that caters to the life of busy working adults, still allowing them to train like a pro. Okay, so that's what this program's all about. It's a start to finish program and you're getting this intense team experience. Now, the cool thing about Endevo Run is they've got all kinds of really great coaches on board for the program. They have pros like Kate Grace, Ali Ostrander, Shannon Roberry, and then you've got Jason Fitzgerald, Matt Fitzgerald. You've got a really strong team of people behind this program. So when you go to Endevo Run, E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-U-N.com, you can learn more about the program and learn how you can experience pro training season from start to finish without actually being a pro. Again, use the promo code POSTCARD and that will be good for 15% off plus free shoes of your choice. All right. Thanks Endevo Run for supporting this episode of the podcast. Well, let's talk about Chicago just a little bit more. Uh, It was so fun to see you racing in the pack with people. I was able to see you quite a few times on the course. And um, I just kind of love to hear, I know that the listeners kind of 
love to get in the nitty gritty play by play type stuff. So um, can you kind of just share with us how you were feeling throughout the race? And I know there was one point where Ben kind of had to go on as the pacing duties and then he, he kind of knew you were falling back. And I think it was him who posted that he was felt like in his mind, he just wanted to pull you with him. So can you kind of <laughs> talk about all those processes? Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I did not feel particularly good the week going into the race, but I, I've done this many times that I tried to just get out of my head and say, it doesn't matter how you feel, but I'm also old enough to know like something just felt off in my legs and they just kind of felt like heavy. And um, I was very tight in my hips, like those few days leading in. And so something felt a little off to me, but I knew I had put in a great block of training. I knew I was really strong and I've kind of adopted that mindset. Like it doesn't matter how you feel, even if you feel like crap, you can still run well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've done that in in plenty of races where I felt like I just grinded through. So um, I knew we were setting off, you know, the pace group was going to be between 112.30 and 113. And I tried my best not to look at our splits. And yeah, I just uh, tucked in behind Ben. And then we ended up having like four other women kind of in our group early on. And I knew he would do an excellent job pacing. He's always been very good at even splitting. Um, And like I said, I didn't, I didn't feel super like I guess how you'd hope to feel in the marathon, like, oh, wow, I feel like I'm jogging these first couple of miles. It never felt that way to me. I just was like, all right, well, this is the pace I'm running and I got to believe I can hold this the whole way. So in that regard, it was a little bit of like a mental shift, um, not like, oh, let me hold back kind of feeling. It was like, well, you just got to stick to this pace and see how long you can make it. Um, and then as we got past 10 K all of a sudden, like on our sides, this whole group of men kind of joined us. And I estimated that they must have started in the corral behind us, Mm -hmm. which I think went off a minute after like the, uh, pro athlete elite corral. But it was awesome because once they caught us, they kind of realized like that was the pace they wanted to be running. So we all of a sudden had this like pack of 20 dudes just surrounding the women's pack and Ben was at the front. And I just tried to be like, you know what, this is the awesome, like unspoken camaraderie of the running community that like these guys know that we're like the lead American pack. And we had a couple of foreigners in there. But like, they know what we're trying to do. They want to run really well. So it was almost like we were all working together. Um, And there were some very windy stretches out there where we would tuck in behind the guys. Like our pack was so big that I was like six seconds behind Ben at halfway, like what our chip read as, but I was still in the pack, but Mm. that's how like how big our pack was. Um, Yeah. And then every time we'd have like one of our elite fluid stations, it was like the men would just like part the red sea and they would like move out of the way. And cause the tables were in the middle. And so they'd get out of our way. We would be able to go get our elite um, fluids. And I was like, what respect like these men had for us knowing that we were, what we were trying to do. And we've been trying to figure out on the internet, like, Hey, if you were with our pack, like reach out to us. Cause we just kind of, you know, we just kind of wanted to hear from them and we've heard from two of them, which is pretty cool. Um, and all of them actually ended up going on and I think running faster than most of us in the group, which is kind of cool to hear here and they thought Ben did an awesome job pacing so yeah that takes us through halfway and then I would I would say I started to have some rough patches like that were lasting longer than I would have liked just past halfway Um, and that's I think when 
uh, Emma Bates started to feel good and Ben kind of told her, Hey, if you're feeling good, like you should just push on from the pace that we're running. And then I had like a pretty bad patch around maybe 25 or 30 K. And that's when the Irish woman, uh, Fianola, Ben was like, I- I'm going to go ahead and take her through 30 K. And, you know, I was like, that's fine. I got to stay here and keep trying to run my pace. But then I kind of came out of that um, about a mile later and I caught them. And then I was like, okay, like maybe I got this. Um, and so with about five or six miles to go, it was just kind of the three of us, all the other men had left us. And it got pretty windy in certain sections of the course. So we were just tucking behind Ben. And then, um, yeah, and then Fianola got to a point where she was running quicker than us. She was kind of holding pace a little better. And Ben's pacing duties were officially over. So she kind of pulled ahead. That's where I had the bathroom accident. And then, yeah, those last three miles were just um, just a heavy, heavy grind to the finish. And Ben was trying to stay in front of me, but I was slowing down so much. He would, like, gap me unintentionally and then, like, look back and realize how far back mm-hmm. I was. Uh, but, you know, he was obviously full of energy because it wasn't that hard for him. And he did. He he wished he could just <laughs> attach a rope to me and pull me. But obviously, you can't do that in the race. Um, yeah, and it was an emotional, like, couple of miles for me because – I had envisioned the race going one way and this was not how it was going. And so I just had to switch over to be like, okay, um, even though you're not full of energy right now, you're still really strong. You know how to fight to the finish and you just have to get there, like no matter how bad you're hurting. Um, Cause that, that, that's what you train for. You train for like those really, I guess, dark and hard moments. Um, and it was just difficult to accept that each mile went by. I was, I was slipping away from a minute goal in the marathon. I went from 225 pace to 226 pace to 227 and just hoping I could get to the finish line and not get into the 228 range, you know, but you come all this way, you know, I'd come 22 miles at a certain pace and then I lost it all in the last four. So that's the hard part of the marathon. That is um, a, a harsh reality, but Again, it was a great learning opportunity for me and, you know, a necessary stepping stone, I think, till to my next opportunity. Yeah, that's so hard to stay, like, when you saw it slipping away. Did you ever get fearful, oh, shit, what if I don't even PR? Oh, yeah, obviously, because you're just like, it's weird, you, I'm trying... I'm trying so hard. Like it feels like I'm kicking at the end of like a 10 K and I'm just not moving. Mm -hmm. Like your brain is telling you run as hard as you can. And I'm looking down and I can't break six minutes, you know, for my second to last mile. And I had been running 5:30 pace or 5:35 pace, and I just like I can't move any faster. Um, and that that is why the marathon is just this brutal, (laughs) uh, you know, it it has no um what's the word mercy it kind of (laughs) yeah there you go it has no mercy for you you know it doesn't it doesn't really care how you're feeling um it can conquer you and so I was worried that I was gonna have one of those races where I was gonna lose five to six minutes but I just focused on one foot in front of the other and Ben kept telling me like how much I had left and yeah I'm just swinging my arms as, as fast as I could go hoping my legs would catch up but um once I got to the finish line and saw the clock like I was very thankful to at least sne- sneak under 228 you know and make it a little more of a PR than just a couple seconds 
Yeah. Yeah. Getting into that next minute is so much. Yeah. It's so much better that you stayed under there. I totally get what you're saying. Um, yeah. It's so, do you ever, did you ever have any moments? I think so many people can relate to these last four miles. Like, I don't know, and unless you've only run one marathon and you had a beautiful marathon, I feel like most, <laughs> most of us marathoners have experienced this. Um, yeah. What were like mental things you were telling yourself? Because I, I always think like in those last few miles, like I know how hard I'm working and I try to think of things that I can tell myself like you're going to be fine. You just have to get to the finish line as fast as you can, even though you feel like everything's crumbling. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have any special strategies, but I, I would say the experience has helped me. Like I said, I have had, um, gosh, six or seven marathons that I have kind of felt bad in um, towards the end. And so each one that I've gone through, I'm like, well, you've been here before, <laughs> you know, like you, you kind of know what to do. Um, and so that is kind of what I use. And like I said, you think of the hardest days you've had in training and when you just like refuse to quit and you're like, I I'm not going to give up. And so I may lose a lot of time, but like, I'm going to get to the finish line. Um, and I think the more you do that, the more it becomes commonplace. Like, you know what to do in those moments. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was thinking about this. I was spectating like mile 25 and a half and I, we were walking, it was after you guys all passed. And then, so we were walking to go watch, I say the normals, <laughs> like the normals finishing the race, the people that aren't elites. And, um, I saw Scott Fobble and Ben Rosario. And so we walked right past them and then I did a double take and I was like, Oh, Hey guys. Cause you know, I've had them on my podcast several times too. Yeah. Um, I think they were heading to the finish line to greet you though. Did you get to see Ben right after, not your Ben, the other Ben right after the race? I I did not. I didn't see Coach Ben or Scott for like two hours, actually. Okay. Okay. Um, we kind of just missed each other. Um, but I do vividly remember them like at the last, um, I can't remember when it was, but I remember them yelling at me when I was on like 225 pace and I was feeling really positive. And then I remember them knowing I was like hurting um, and they were just telling me like, you got this, you can get to the finish line and coming from like your coach and especially my teammate, Scott Fobble, like I know he knows the feeling mm -hmm. that I'm going mm -hmm. through. And so it means a lot when you're like, they know exactly how much I'm hurting, you know? And so I said this again, it becomes like you want to do it for all of these people too, who've kind of been supporting you and had your back. Oh, totally. Now, yeah. do, do you feel like these last couple years, um, I mean, you've, you've really been on fire and it's like, but it's like the most consistent fire, you know, is, I mean, I feel like that's a good way to describe it because you're making these, like, you're like stepping up the ladder and you just keep stepping up the ladder. And even though Chicago, I know you wanted to do 225, 226, podium. But like, do you feel that progress? I do. And I, again, I don't want to ignore that because then I would, you know, and I preach this all all the time, I'd be sucking the joy out of the process if I was always like, I want more, I want more. Um, but I think what I've been seeking in the marathon, and this is more in my daily life, like I want to feel better physically. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like, again, the pieces of the puzzle I have to put together on my own. But um, no, the progress has been great. And sometimes when we're in our such uh, scrutinized elite world, the progress that I'm making is sometimes at a different timeline than let's say other people around me. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because yeah, I've gone this far in my career and I'm, I'm progressing now 
as best as I can. But sometimes I'm like, oh, is it too late? Like I've never made an Olympic team. Not many people past the age of 33, 34 make their first Olympic team. That's that's like the harsh statistics. So sometimes it feels like I am running against, you know, the clock um, because I haven't done it yet. And so those are the only things that sometimes get into my mind that um, not let me down or weigh me down, but that's when I can almost stifle my own progress when I'm like, okay, it's great and everything, but I haven't had all these accomplishments that maybe if I had younger in my career would have, would have boded well for now. But that doesn't matter because I'm on this path and I do have two children and I took a break there. So it's definitely different than my competitors and, you know, other people I compete against. So I have to like really own the path I'm on and be thankful for the progress that I am making um, and just see like, okay, what is possible in these next couple of years where I'm at? What is your mentality going into the trials? Oh, um, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, obviously I'm trying to make the team, but, um, I think my mentality is it's just another race because early in my career, I, I so put, uh, championships and Olympic trials on such a pedestal that I felt like I had to change things in crazy. I had or change things in training and I had to do more and work harder, but I don't feel like I need to do all that. I think I have all the tools. Um, I'm trying to figure this other piece out, you know, nutritionally and what that means for my body. But I feel very confident that like, I guess the best version of myself will be able to be on that start line, like as a contender, even though that I've never on paper, I wouldn't be one of the favorites. Cause I, I still think I only have like the 12th best time going in. Um, but I do believe in the marathon and at something like the trials, anything is possible. Um, and if I can get myself uh, healthy, strong and um, yeah, just to that start line, like firing on all cylinders anything is possible. And I, I have to believe that over the next couple of months. So um, it's kind of just like, don't change anything. Don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. Just keep doing what we've been doing. And um, yeah, you'll have the best opportunity that you can ask for. Yeah, you believe it. I mean, that's huge. That's like a huge piece of the puzzle. Where did Relentless come from? Um, so I was talking to my friend, um, Sarah Cohen. She's my friend from college. And she's a PT and also does pelvic floor um, specializing. And she's kind of helped me over the last couple of years with just things personally. And just as one of my best friends, um, we kind of chat every couple of weeks. And I don't know when it was. It was like sometime this spring or summer. And she'll just call me and kind of give me her observations on how I'm doing in life and how I'm doing in running. (laughs) And she's the most positive person in the entire world. And she just one day was like, do you know what you've been this year? And I was like, no, Sarah, what? And she's like, fucking relentless. I I was like, yeah, she just came out of nowhere. And I was like, thank you, Sarah. And then she makes me like kind of step back and look at things that have occurred. And like I said, even though I might be like, yeah, but I'm still not running this level or I'm not competing as well as I'd like to she kind of reminds me just to, to own where I'm at. Um, and I started to like, look up what that word meant and it felt right. It felt really like this, what's what 2019 has been about for me. Um, not caring about PRs that I did or didn't have, not caring about people I was competing against that have beat me before. And that allowed me to just go into so many races with this attitude. Like, I don't really care that, this person's run 40 seconds faster than me in a 5k. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try to compete with them. Um, and that's been like super helpful. And 
yeah, hopefully I can carry that attitude for the remainder of my career. That's like the best. That's so good. That's so good. I mean, and that's just not, that's anything. That's anything. That's running. That's business. It's like you can't. Oh, it's very much, yeah, overlapped. Yeah, you can't compare, like, because that's not your path. You're where you are. That's good. I got to get one of those tanks. I'm going to order one. I keep <laughs> say I keep thinking about it and I keep forgetting. You know, you remember that you want to do something while you're like in the middle of a 20 mile run or you're at the oh, grocery for sure. store and then you're in front of your computer and you don't remember at all. Are you going to be in New York? I am. I'll bring you one out there. I'm going to be out there. You know, I'm interviewing Kellen. I'm excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> Kellen and Sarah Hall and Roberta Groner. So if you're around, you should come to the run center. Is that, that's at the run center? Okay. Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah. It's at 1 p.m. on Friday at the one center. 1 p.m. Friday. Um, okay. Just hoping that my flight's not delayed because it's at 6 a.m. But I wasn't willing. I didn't want to leave because Thursday night's Halloween. And like, no, I know. I can't Please. I'm, I'm leaving on Thursday. I feel awful. Oh, I'm your kids are Halloween. Coming. No, they're not coming. It's just me because it's just like a kind of a more of a work trip. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I feel terrible. <laughs> oh, I know. And well, I'm bringing a girlfriend with me. She's like kind of doing some work with me and stuff and helping me out with some things. And um, I knew for sure she wouldn't leave the day before. She wouldn't leave her kids. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do it either. And Halloween in our neighborhood is so magical. I was like, I just just. Our, we're not going to be delayed. It's going to be fine. Yep. And we'll go straight yep. to the run center. <laughs> yep. It'll be perfect. <laughs> um, okay. Awesome. Well, so I was going to ask you that. Are your kids going to be at the trials? They are. They will be there. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I think we're going to have a good, a good Ross team um, and extended family and Bruce family out there. Will that be distracting at all? Will you sleep in the same room as them? Oh no, I, they will be. Um, they will probably be in an Airbnb with family and or um, Donna, and then I'll be at the host hotel. Okay, cool. Yes. All right, I have a couple listener questions, and I'll let you go. I feel like I've just been hanging out at the Bruce household these. Like, <laughs> you have, you have. We're, we're I'm friends with everybody now. Um, all right, what here? These are just some random listener questions about the race and you and Ben and et cetera. Uh, Shawana white. She wants to know why the carbon rocket over the carbon X for the marathon. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I'm very like old school when it comes to shoes. I literally just try on like every time Hoka makes a new shoe, I'll try it and be like, I like these. I don't like these. I don't kind of look into like technology of them. I'm just like, this feels good for me. And I, for some reason, didn't like how the um, Carbon X's felt on me. I've loved the Rockets. I've been in them for the last two years, and I just think they are a phenomenal shoe. Tell me this. Everybody else is running in prototypes. Does that, what do you think about that? I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know how much longer we want this conversation. Yeah. I, I also, I'm very old school and I kind of believe that, um, this shouldn't be a technological arms race. It should be a foot race. And I definitely think we should just have shoes that 
perhaps um, facilitate us running and help us not get injured. But I, I don't like the idea of shoes doing all the work for us. Um, so I'm kind of bummed with where uh, it looks like the industry is headed. So I'm not I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I think it has changed the dynamics and times are being changed and skewed of what people used to be able to do and what they're doing now. And so I don't know. It's a it's a difficult and delicate subject for sure going on right now. Um, I'm just thankful. I I have a great shoe sponsor shoe company that is kind of committed to the community of running. And although they do sponsor pro athletes, what's so great is anyone can buy the shoes and wear the shoes that we're training and racing in, which is super cool. That is super cool. It really is. Yeah. Uh, did Kipchoge's performance motivate you? What did you think? Did you watch it back? I'm sure you were sleeping when it happened. Um, I did not rewatch it. You know, I've seen clips. I mean, again, it's, it's hard to say with everything going on in the sport (laughs) right now. I, uh, I don't like to, I'm a very positive person, but I'm also a realist and there's just been a lot of negativity that has been kind of spewed into track and field and road racing over the last couple of years that I'm a little jaded to, mm. to certain performances and I will never like accuse someone of doing something when you don't know but I don't know uh to me it wasn't like a real race it was just okay sure. what can one person do with technology and a lot of pacers and all that I, I'm sure he is a great athlete um but that doesn't necessarily uh, I don't know, wet my whistle. I don't know what the right word is. Um, that's not something like that I enjoy about running. I enjoy the, the raw aspect of racing other people, racing competition. You know, you're racing the clock essentially, but kind of in a race against other people. Yeah, it's a totally different yeah. scenario. It's like exactly human potential with all these aids, totally different Correct. than a race setting. Correct, Exactly. Um, and I have a question from Kim, Kimberly Trustell. She's actually been on the podcast and so has Shawana. Um, she's curious to know if you and Ben laid out some ground w- rules and if you do when he paces you in like workouts or races, because this is a common thing I hear when husbands or wives pace their spouse, like sometimes there are fights or disparities and like, (laughs) is, am I saying the right word? Am I being encouraging? Am I being annoying? So how does that work with you guys? Well, we are so lucky. We have always had this great dynamic. I mean, Ben coached me in 2013, um, for a whole year of my career and, we didn't fight ever about it because if I'm going to trust him as a coach, I'm not going to bring like our relationship into it. And I'm not going to say like, Oh, you're not thinking about me in this way. I'm like, he's going to write the training. I have to do it. If I fail a workout, it's not his fault. Um, and so pacing wise, yeah, probably the only times we fight, we used to do things like in a workout, I'd be like, you're a little fast. And then he's like one second fast. And he's like, really Stephanie. So I have learned to be like, I'm not going to say anything to him. I'm going to trust him. I actually did a whole workout where I didn't look at my watch, like for the first 10 miles and just trusted he was going to hit the pace. And I think that's been really beneficial. So, um, no, I think we just have this unspoken, I'm going to trust him. And, uh, if it's my day, it's my day. If it's not, that has nothing to do with him, but he, he always does, a bang up job on pacing. So not, not much discussion. Yeah. He's legit. Like he's really good at pacing. He is. Yes. Um, okay. Last listener question. This is from Anne Everhart. She is someone who is 
uh, she wants to qualify for the trials. I think I think she might be trying to do that at CIM. We're all, you know, we're getting all these people that are like, last minute, let me get in. Um, She says, sometimes I get so nervous, stressed, anxious before a big workout, mostly long tempos. Amen to that. Long tempos scare me way more than short intervals, even though short intervals are very difficult. Uh, But she says, does Steph have any advice or tips to chill out and not put too much pressure on workouts? It's silly. It's kind of silly, but I trust that she's one of the pros who might have valuable insight on that might be relatable to us. Well, that's nice that she thinks (laughs) that I would know. I mean, I I obviously get nervous, but, um, when you start to break down like what those nerves mean, the nerves are just because you care about your own running. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like how often in life do we get to choose something that we like care about so much that we're nervous about the results. Um, and I think that's like a positive. So when you spin it that way, you're like, Oh, it's just cause I want this to go well. Like that's why I'm nervous. Um, but that, that is such like an awesome feeling because then you kind of want to hold yourself accountable to whatever goals you set out there. Um, I would say, uh, something that has helped me tangibly is I try to listen to headspace and that's this meditation and it's five to 10 minutes a day. And it kind of just helps you like, again, clear your head, figure out what is it that's like plaguing you in life. Um, and if you can either do that in the morning before your workout, or if you can do that at the end of your day, I think that can just like get you back centered and realize no matter how much like it is important, it is my job, it is someone's passion, it still is just running and nothing at the end of the day is going to like really change your life in, in, in that way. And so the, those nerves, when you think about it, like they could just be unwanted energy um, and just think about like, yeah, this is supposed to be fun. It can be hard and it can hurt, but it's still supposed to be fun. And any times it becomes too anxiety producing, maybe you need to take a step back, you know, and, and try to bring more fun into your own running. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, I found, and this is, I'm not pro runner stuff, Bruce, but <laughs> am, I found that Honestly, like when I have a hard workout on the schedule, like today I actually did a hard workout, but I was so consumed with like getting my kids out the door for school and like doing all the things that needed to get done that by the time I pulled up to where I was doing the run, I was like, oh yeah, now I got to go do this. This is going to be real hard. And I had a great run. And I think honestly, a lot of that had to do with the fact that like I wasn't dwelling on it until my feet started moving. And then once you're moving, you're usually calmed. Like once you start running, you use that usually calms you at least in my experience. Oh, that's, I mean, that's like every race you're so like tight or anxious on the start line. And then once you're in the race, you're like, Oh, it's no big deal. Like, what was I worried about? I'm here. Exactly. I'm doing yeah, it. It all goes away. Exactly. I'm doing <laughs> it. Okay. The question I asked Ben that I threw him a curveball that I was like, okay, I'm going to ask Steph is I asked him, what do you love most about Steph? So So am I supposed to to say what I love most about Steph or about Ben? You can do both. You can tell us what you love about yourself. (laughs) No. um, What do I love most about Ben? Oh, man. There are too many things. Um, I would just say, okay, there's two things. Like he has always just rolled with the punches And I think because of the way my personality is and how I'm like very last minute, I'm like, let's do this. Like I'm (laughs) kind of spontaneous in a couple ways. 
he's always just been like, all right, let's do it. You know, and I was like, hey, maybe we should buy a house when I was really pregnant or hey, we should start a running camp. Also, when I was really pregnant, he would just be like, "Okay," you know, he'll ask like the hard questions and be like, how is this going to look? But he is just rolled with the punches like his whole life. Um, And I think that is such a great quality to have as a person, as a best friend, in a marriage, as a parent. Um, And he's like helped me go with the flow when I'm either like anxious about something or think I need to like plan it better. He kind of reminds me that if you're just like open to anything and he, he adapts and assimilates to many different situations out there and many different people. And that has allowed him to have such like Uh, these great relationships in his life and the opportunities that he's gotten um, is because he's like very open to all that. So good. I was going to touch on what he said about you, but I'm going to let you listen instead. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear it. Okay. You know, yeah, I'll listen. I have to mention this too. Um, I guess this is sort of a plug to my listeners for my other podcast I started, but I I started this podcast called the illuminate podcast. And it's basically we're interviewing people who are illuminating the world around them through um, like their business or work or just, you know, this podcast is so focused on running and I had all these other people I wanted to hear from that weren't just runners, but I decided, Hey, Lindsay, you need to stay in your niche with running here because this is working. Um, yeah. But anyway, our most recent interview was today and it was with um, Ian Morgan Cron and he's like an Enneagram expert, which is sort of a personality type thing that's all the rave in some communities right now. Anyway, okay. the it, you should listen to the interview. It's called the Illuminate okay. Podcast. And yep. <laughs> keep in mind when you search the Illuminate Podcast, um, there's an Illuminate Podcast that's about pornography. It's not that one. <laughs> That's awesome. It's not that That's one. That's so great. Okay. Um, yep. It's like a white background with a gold logo. Anyway, um, this guy breaks down these nine personality types and it is so fascinating to see like where you line up and where your spouse or significant other lines up because um, it sounds like you and Ben, you kind of remind me of me in this like dreamer mentality and then um, my husband is very much like kind of the anchor, like, okay, but like, this is uh-huh. what we should do kind of deal. Yep. Yep. Um, yep so it's just cool to break down. And, um, the thing about it is, is, is like the personality types are also different and you generally, you lean towards like, this is my type, but you actually consume like a little bit of each type in you. You're just like, this is my main type. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yep, that makes sense. So go listen to it, and okay. um, you should you I, you guys should take the types, and I'd love to see who is what. Who we are? Okay, I like it. I'm a seven, I think, and I think my husband's a five. So it'll be interesting to see what Ben and Steph Bruce are. Anyway, all right, Steph. Well, I rambled far more than I normally do, so I appreciate <laughs> you letting me do that. Yep, no problem. Um, I look forward to seeing you hopefully in New York and. Um, Man, I'm really rooting for you, hoping you get the stomach stuff worked out and can't wait to see what you do at the trials. Thank you. I appreciate that, Lindsay. Okay. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you Aftershocks and thank you Endeavor Run for supporting this episode of the podcast. You guys head over to another.aftershocks.com and use the code ANOTHER to get $50 off an endurance bundle and check out Endeavor Run so you can experience what a pro training season looks like from start to finish without actually being a pro. Go to EndeavorRun.com. Links to both of those will be in the show notes. 
All right, friends, you can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for being here. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.